All right. Now, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We are uh, going to study again the, the, one of the greatest miracles in the history of the world, Lazarus being raised from the dead. We spent, the last lesson I did on this, I focused on the personalities, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and the impact in their lives. We're now we're going to study how Jesus handled it. How did Jesus handle this when, when, the, when the request came for him? My brother, our brother is dying. How does Jesus handle that? So let's read the first few uh, verses in uh, John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I want to read two more uh, verses. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that, the, that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus, we need you now. Lazarus, the one you love, Lord, is dying. Help now. Uh, and so this lesson, we're going to focus on the problem of Lazarus dying and the problem of when we pray for healing. Uh, and how God responds to those prayers. And I think this is an important uh, lesson for us to understand. The principles, the Christian principles about how we should expect God to respond. Uh, because what happens to every one of us at some point in our life, whether you are a committed Christian or whether you're not, when you're going to pray for something that's important, some of us are going to enter moments of doubt. Oh God, why are you not answering this prayer? You have no idea the suffering that I'm going through, the anguish and pain. Lord, please. And sometimes we're making that through tears uh, as, as we face some, some of the great difficulties of our life, even to the point where, where, where some diseases are life-threatening. And we're praying for healing, and yet we don't see an answer. And so we need to understand how God is handling those requests. Uh, because if you think he doesn't hear you, then you really have not understood who Jesus and God are. You don't really understand what that relationship is. And so here you see the proper response to sickness. And the proper response to sickness is immediately to reach out to Jesus. And that's what Mary and Martha did. And they sent word, uh, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now I'm sure that when they sent that out uh, by, by messenger, I'm sure what they expected was that on Jesus hearing it, he would heal them immediately. He wouldn't even have to go back. Jesus doesn't have to go back. We've already known these examples. Uh, the nobleman's son, all those situations where Jesus has healed people from a distance. Jesus didn't have to be on site to do the healing. And yet nothing happened. Oh, one day, two days go by, and Jesus is not, not doing anything, and then Lazarus dies. Uh, but what I love is, I love how they phrased it. Lord, the one you love is sick. 
and, and that, to me, is so significant. The one you love, Lord. It's not saying, Lord, I love you, help me. Because if, you may, if you're making your prayer on the basis that you have uh, distinguished yourself by your steadfast fidelity to the Lord, who can say that? We've all failed. We've all been weak. None of us have been steadfast in our fidelity. We've all, we've all had weak moments. But if instead, when we make that prayer, we say, Lord, you have loved me. You have died on the cross for me. You know who I am. Lord, please help me. That's the prayer. That's how, that's how we need to approach God uh, in our prayers. Uh, and so the point, first of all, of this is that even those who love Jesus, even those who are fully committed to Jesus, will die. I know that's a shock. <laughs> that's the one common thread every single one of us in this room has. We will all die. That's, that's exactly what, what will happen. Now, now, this is important because it, re it recognizes an ongoing fact of our life. That even as we are Christians, even as we have committed ourselves to God in every aspect of our life, we are going to die. Now, they should not have been surprised that someone that loved Jesus would still be subject to physical ailments. Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer in this life, that you're not going to have health ailments, that you're not going to go through difficulties. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Let's understand that. Don't go thinking in life that because you're a Christian, you're going to go skating through. You know, that's why that prosperity theology is bad bad theology. Amen. I mean, please, folks. You see it preached and listened and spoken over the television. And the only thing it's good for is to get uh, fundraising Amen. for the guy who's saying it. You know? Send me ten bucks, I'll send you back this prayer cloth. You can put it on your head and you're going to be just fine. Yeah. You know? And if you want a house... Send me a hundred. You want a car? Send me fifty. I mean, I, I've, I've been in the presence of um, good people. A guy used to drive me all over the place when, when I would fly. Uh, uh, was a guy who would get sucked in by these things, and he was broke. And yet, you know, he would send five hundred dollars. You know, I mean, it was just pathetic. It was pathetic. And, uh, people prey uh, on the weaknesses of people. Prey on it. Really, I should be sent to jail. They should be sent to jail. So, the point of this is that, that we will suffer. We will get sick. Your stock portfolio is going to go down on some days. You understand? Don't sit there in the middle of a market crash and go, Oh, oh God, oh, what are you doing to me? The rain is falling on everybody. And the point of it is, the, the point of it is that we have to understand how to react. Not that we're not going to suffer, not that we're not going to have health ailments, but that for us, for us, we see beyond the present. We know that whatever happens, God's holding us in his hand and that he is doing something for us. And I think this phrase that God, Jesus said there, this sickness will not end in death, but will be for the glory of God. How many times do you think that there is something going on in your life that God is saying to you, this is for the glory of God. I want to say that today because I know that there are people here who are hurting and suffering. And I want, you, I want to assure you that whatever it is, whatever you're going through, ultimately will be for the glory of God. In some way, 
In some way, he's reshaping and redefining you. Uh, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Man is destined to die once. One time. Every one of us. One time. So we have to understand that. And so we should not be surprised at illness. We should not. Because the same body that we're walking around with, the same flesh is what, what all humanity has. And it all has this, the same relative DNA. And so there, we know what the weakness is. But it's sometimes the way that God speaks to us about changing our walk with Him. How is God going to reform you? How is God going to affect your character? How is God going to make you into a more powerful witness for Him? What will He do? And oftentimes, these issues, these persecutions, these sufferings will have that uh, benefit. Take a look at Psalm 119, verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. How about that? Uh, it was good for me to be afflicted. Now, I can't say that I've ever been able to say that. Okay? I can't say that, that uh, I can say, oh, it was good for me to be afflicted. But frankly, there have been... Uh, Issues in my life that I recognize, especially spiritually, I would say spiritually, where God wanted me uh, to pursue a different spiritual uh, walk in my life. He wanted me to do certain things that in order for that to do happen, I had to have doors closed on me. I told you about the issues about my former church uh, and how despicable and hurting it was, that those issues for me. And that, frankly, God knew that the only way, the only way that I would move from that to here would be basically to have uh, pain poured on my head. All right? That's me. And I have to say that I know a lot of you, and I think a lot of you are like me, that a lot of us will not make these steps unless we get a serious boot in the rear. Right? God knows that. He knows that. You know, most of us tend to, uh, to be passive and stay in a situation. We figure it'll get better. I'll just hang out. I know that, you know, uh, you know, I'm trying to serve God. And God says sometimes the door's closed. It's over. It's over. Move on. Move on. Uh, and so uh, sometimes that's delivered to you in suffering, in persecution, sometimes even in, in health issues. And so here you see Lazarus not being healed at the moment that they asked him to be healed because God said it would be for his glory. And here we are, 2,000 years later, in this room in First Baptist Church, and we are going to spend several weeks studying this because it was for God's glory. Now think about it. Think of any, any think about it, what would have happened if Lazarus got healed. Oh, he healed Lazarus. That's great, Lazarus. You go on with your life, things move on, the carnival goes on and continues. Would it have had anywhere near the impact that it had because he died? Of course the answer is no. Of course, the answer is also that this put the nail uh, uh, in Jesus. This was one of the events that sealed the fate of Jesus. Uh, and you know from what we've already studied, it, it was also a sealing of Lazarus' fate because they determined that they wanted to execute Lazarus as well. 
because hundreds upon hundreds of people were being drawn to Jesus just by being in the presence of Lazarus and seeing this. And so Jesus invites us to come and tell him uh, and to receive the relief that we need by asking him into our life. He is capable of answering every need that you have. But understanding that he answers the need within the confines of his perfect will. And sometimes healing is not within his will. Not easy for me to say this. I pray for healing. I ask God always to heal. I ask God to improve the situation. But then I say, Lord, but within your perfect will. Meaning this, Father... That if healing would be outside your will, then we submit to you. Because we know there have been examples in Scripture where God has granted an extension of life. One of the Jewish kings begged, I believe it was Hezekiah, begged uh, for additional years of life because God told him, tonight I'm taking your life. Oh, no! No, don't, don't, no, please! All right, all right. That's what you want? That's what you want? Your will is all extend your life? Okay, fine. I'll give you another 10 years. Whoa, what a disaster. What a disaster. Entering into Israel because of that. The apostasy uh, and the false gods. Uh, that, that man's life well, went downhill. And he carried a large part of the kingdom of Israel with him. And so you see this? God sees. Better to be taken now. And fulfill the glory of God. Than to have a life extended that will, not, that will not advance the kingdom of God. Really, is that what you want? <clears throat> Give me another couple lousy years so I can really mess this up good? So that when I meet you, Lord, we'll be able to go through what I did with these last few years to really wreck your message? Think about it, folks. That's why we say within your perfect uh, will. And so I'm so impressed here as to how they, how they phrased it. Lord, the one you love, the one you love needs a touch. Lazarus, the one you love. And it's such a beautiful way to phrase it to Jesus. Jesus, you know, Lord, I love you. Heal me. I do love you, Lord, but my love is imperfect. There have been good days and there have been bad days. There have been plenty of days when I was not a good disciple. And so you make that prayer... And then you have second thoughts about saying, hmm, boy, maybe Jesus won't be that impressed with that prayer. <laughs> but the prayer where you say, Lord, the one, the one you love, you created me. You know my weaknesses. You know my DNA. Lord, you love me. And when you make that prayer, that's a prayer that not only God hears, but resonates with us uh, and gives us confidence as we understand that. And what this does is this. That when you make that prayer, you have the peace that passes all understanding. You ever wonder what that means, the peace that passes all understanding? It means this, that even when you're in the doctor's office and you're getting news that's not good, and yet when you make that prayer to Jesus Christ and you have this image of everything that I've taught you, of him holding you in his hand, you know, you know, you know he will not abandon you. Can I get an amen? amen? I mean, that's a key thing. He will not abandon you. And that your life will be used by him to advance his kingdom. Amen. Oh, Lord. 
And so when he sees you on that day, and he'll go through and he will say to you, I'm so proud of how you handled that. I know that was hard. I know that was hard. It wasn't easy for you to bear that, but you did. And you have no idea the hundreds of people that looked at you. You don't even know the people that were brought to Christ in that doctor's office or in that chemotherapy center or in the operating room. You have no idea. You have no idea the people in your BLG who were uplifted because they saw how you handled this, knowing that you were held by Jesus Christ. And he used you effectively as an evangelist to advance the kingdom of God. Oh, this is for the glory of God. There it is, folks. There it is. You have that, and you study that, and that's impressed in your life. You understand this. And so another clear aspect of this story is that God sometimes does not act in the way we would expect him to act. That often happens. You pray, Lord, help me. I need help. Help doesn't come. A delay. Lord, heal me. Now, Lord, please, I can't go through it. Lord, I'm in this situation. It's dragging on year after year after year. Not yet. And the delay is coming. And so the question that you have for us is you're saying, does he really hear? Am I praying to somebody that's listening? Why is he torturing me like this? And the answer is, that within the perfect will of God, delay is often part of the answer. Delay is often part of the answer. Uh, it's important to know this. Jesus is completely informed of your need. Don't think that the minute that you made that prayer, it's like Jesus is saying, wait, I'm, I'm kind of tied up here right now. I, I'm involved in some important things. I'm involved in some important things. I can't get to you right now. You know, there's four billion people praying to me. And I can't get to you right now. You think yours is important, but there are other people. I'll get there when I can get there. No, it doesn't work like that. He hears it instantaneously. He knows immediately. But at the same time, he has decided to delay. Just like you see it here with Lazarus. Delay is part of the plan of God. Part of the plan of God. Uh, and you see that here because we know from what we studied last week that Lazarus became an incredible witness, an incredible witness to Jesus Christ because God delayed. Because through that delay, he expired and ultimately was raised from the dead. I want to give you another example of showing how God answers. Turn to uh, Acts, Acts chapter 12. Peter's miraculous escape from prison. I want you to read a few verses about this. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for, to God for him. Now, according to theologians who do the research in terms of the feasts uh, of unleavened bread and Passover during that period of time, Peter would have been in prison for seven days. Not just in prison, but handcuffed with four soldiers all around him. Locked up in the darkest possible area of this prison. 
And they're praying for him. God, take him. Free him, Lord. Free him. No answer day one. No answer day two. No answer day three. And knowing that he intended to be executed on the morning of the eighth day. You got that? Not a pretty picture. Now, continuing on. Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, and bring him to trial means to execute him. It's a sham trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains, two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And by the way, what a picture of how Christ wants us to understand. He knew what the sentence was. He saw what happened to the disciple James, the brother of John. He was executed. You don't think he sat there figuring this, you know, I'm going to walk out of prison. I'm sure he didn't think he was going to walk out of prison. He thought this was it. And yet he had the peace that passes all understanding to such an extent that he could sleep. Think about it. He could sleep even going through this incredible turmoil. Wow. Wow. This is the same guy that betrayed Jesus? Really? You know, a couple months before? What happened here? You see what happened here. Uh, and then verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, woke him up, quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. I want you to understand something. He was sleeping so well that the light came into the cell. It's in utter darkness. The angel is standing there. You got it? And he's still sleeping. He had to be hit by the angel on the side of his head. Hey, wake up. Wake up. We're getting out of here. Uh, and, and you see the impact, the impact of this. Uh, verse 8, Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you. Follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing and what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was dreaming. This can't possibly be happening. This can't possibly be happening. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened to them by itself, and they walked through it. Oh, praise God. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. Now he goes back to where all the Christian family is praying. They're praying, they're praying. Oh, they're praying hour after hour. Uh, and, 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 and it's great. And so verse 12, it says, When this had finally dawned on him that he'd been released, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the out, outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. I want you to understand even what happens to us as we pray. Here's what it is. Oh, Lord, please. I know this isn't going to happen. <laughs> Lord, please, please do this. I know it's impossible. I know it's impossible. I know you can, God, but I think you won't. <laughs> Am I the only guy that prays like that? <laughs> All right. I mean, I want you to see this. She was so shocked when Peter was at the door, she didn't even open the door for him. Turns around and runs back and grabs the rest of them and says, he's at the front door. Uh, and, and 
And I like the way the other Christians responded to this. You are out of your mind. Praise God. You know, the Bible is great because oftentimes it shows us at our weakest moments, doesn't it? You understand? A lot of times we're, oh, yes, we're the holy people. We are the holy. We, you know, we are surrounded by a great body of witnesses and the angels and we and yet you see here they are the first century church which would set the foundation for us for the next several thousand years and you see even there they're praying and they're not really expecting an answer and when the answer shows up they still don't believe what they see but that's how prayer is answered uh, and you see this and how God delivers them and so what a powerful picture this is of, of God responding to prayer uh, and, and how Peter was was uh, Heal. And so what you see here, what you see here is the glory of God being exhibited within his perfect will. The glory of God answering your prayer within his perfect will in every possible way. And that's the way we pray. Lord, please, Father, help me. Please, Father, heal me. Lord, I know you love me. I ask you, Father, to take care of this situation uh, and to heal me. Uh, and and I but I do it within your perfect will, uh, and when you do that, God will answer those prayers. Um, and one of the things that you know is that He may answer it yes, He may answer it no, and may may answer it many 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 more times by not yet. And we're focusing today on the not yet, not yet, not yet, Mary. Not yet, Martha. I got plans for Lazarus. I have plans for him. Uh, and he's going to be big in the kingdom of God. And there's an interesting story in Luke chapter 18. If we could turn to that. Luke 18. Luke 18. This is about the unjust judge. And honestly, a lot of people uh, misunderstand this passage. Uh, because they think that the, that the judge, and the way that he's handling it, is is being uh, analogized to God. No, it's not. It's actually the opposite. Opposite of how God acts. Luke 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Here it is. Always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with that plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him, day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so there it is. Jesus is telling you that even in this world, even in this world when you see the paradigm of this unjust evil judge who didn't care about people, didn't care about God. And this widow kept coming week after week after week and finally he says, I can't take it. She's wearing me out. I'm just going to give her what she wants so she'll shut up and leave me alone. Jesus is telling the people is that God is not like that. 
Your God is not like that. Your God hears your prayer. Don't think he doesn't hear your prayer. Don't think he's turned off by your prayer. He's heard your prayer. He's heard it as soon as you prayed. He knows who you are. He knows your name. He died on the cross for you. Now you think, now you think this man who died on the cross for you would not answer your prayer, yet he delivered you from damnation forever to a life eternal with him, and he doesn't care? No, no, no. He cares more than anybody else in your life could ever possibly care. Let's understand that. This is an understanding that you need to do it. He's not preoccupied. He's not too busy. He knows who you are. He knows what your needs are. And he loves you and cares for you so much more. So that you make this prayer. Lord, help me. I'm sick. I know you're sick, my child. I know you're sick. Not yet. Not yet. You've got work to do for the kingdom. I'm going to use this. You're going to advance the kingdom. This is for the glory of God. And yes, maybe, yes, maybe, yes, you'll be cured. And maybe, maybe not. But the answer is that within his perfect will, we know that all of us are subject to dying. And that one way or the other, that's going to happen. But, but to live the life of a glorious Christian and to die, to expire within his perfect will knowing that he was there walking with you every step of the way with you as you've gone through these problems, as you've gone through these sufferings, and he's there with you step by step. Oh, Jesus, Lord, Father, oh, God, thank you. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for that promise. That's what prayer is about. That's what Jesus is about. That's the truth that never changes. That truly is the peace that passes all understanding. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord, I thank you, Father, for the words that you've given us. I thank you for, for this miracle. Lord, I thank you for what you did with Lazarus. And now, Lord, I see that that miracle, maybe not in such a magnificent way, but in a smaller way, is replicated millions of times a day all over the world as you are healing and restoring your people, Lord. We ask always your perfect will, even as we ask for healing. But Lord, we ask for the peace that passes all understanding, that we understand what you're doing with us, that you're making us and perfecting us and drawing us closer to you. Thank you, Father, for the words that you've given us. Thank you for the lesson. Help it to grow in our heart this week. Be with our people. Protect them wherever they go and bring them back next week. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.